to right field, way up there, and way out of here! Second deck walk-off home run! Grand slam, Bryce Harper! This is Basin Ball 4. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Base Hit Ball 4 podcast. My name is Glendon Negris alongside Scott Roswald and Tyler Blumenstick. Alex Cashman is not with us today. He's down in the Outer Banks with John B. and the gang filming season two. I think that's the story, right? Right, Scott? He's, he got a part for season two? That'd be pre- pretty cool uh, if he was going to be in Outer Banks season two, but you know, I, think I don't think Alex main, is that cool. I think he'd be the main villain of, episode, of <laughs> season two of Outer Banks. Trying to ruin all the fun. He'd be the devil's advocate. He'd ruin all the fun. <laughs> Absolutely. So Cash isn't here, which is kind of a shame because I feel like if there was any episode where he'd absolutely lay into the Yankees, this would be the episode because they are terrible. And we're going to get to that in a second. But wanted to touch upon last week's episode. Of course, we we're so grateful that Cito Culver, um, the shortstop for the Miners, former shortstop in the Yankees and Marlins organizations, uh, took the time to be with us and talk baseball and it was a very eye-opening and a very um very interesting conversation we had with him probably one of the best baseball conversations i've ever had um one takeaway i had from cedar culver that i really respect from him is how confident he is in his own abilities i mean if you google cedar culver guys there's a lot of articles that say hey first round picked and make it the, the word bus gets thrown around and this guy has all the confidence in the world he immediately when we talked about his offense talked about how like josh donaldson for example didn't turn it on until 28 and that's where he is age-wise so something that really caught my attention was how confident he still is because we've all played baseball and we've all been in those ruts kind of like how the Yankees are in right now where you just like, I suck. I am terrible at this game and I'm never going to get hit for the rest of my life. He seems very confident. He seems very assured that he's going to get his chance in big league baseball again. Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, I, I didn't know much about Cito before we spoke to him uh, other than kind of the media buzzwords. Like every time he's brought up, like you mentioned, like what he, what he's known for and like how he's known and how that ended up. Um, but now after speaking with him and like really getting to know him, which I think is a really important life lesson actually to take away um, in any aspect of life, I guess is just like, you don't, like, don't judge a book by its cover. Like he was the most awesome guest that we've had so far. We haven't had any guests, so it's not hard to beat, but like, I Up feel like he might, he's going to hold that title for a long time because it was a great conversation. He's a great guy and he's, he's going to be back. I mean, judging based off what he said. So you have two, two guests, two, two of the same guests before we have somebody else. Yeah, I thought he was awesome. Uh, really appreciated his uh, taking out the time to you know talk with us. As Glenn said, uh, just a great baseball conversation, uh, and just his, I took away his positivity uh, about everything. He could obviously be very bitter about how things went with the Yankees, but uh, he he took away the positive things from being a part of a great organization like that, um, and uses that to this day. Uh, still working to make his way back, possibly. And obviously that Aaron judge story was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, whether or not you want to give Aaron judge a long-term contract because of the injuries. But I think you have to factor in that kind of thing when you're signing a guy like judge is his character and his meaning to the people of New York and around him um, that he take the time out uh, to do that kind of thing. So um just having that kind of inside information from Cito was awesome. Um, and he's been tearing it up for the minors. So good for him as well. So it, just a huge thanks to him. Did you guys yeah, see the definitely. play he put up on his Instagram? Yeah. The yeah. glove flip like today was, or yesterday. Yes. Yeah. I think it was yesterday. That was real cool. So of course, again, we want to thank Cito Culver. And if you guys are really interested and haven't listened to the interview or show we did with Cito, you can find that on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and here, right here on the YouTube channel. Um, you just go down the archive. It's the last episode before this one. Um, getting right to the main kind of story of the week and really kind of the main story that's been percolating over the last month, and that's how bad the Yankees have been. Um, they are 21-20. and 20. They currently hold that eight, final eighth seed in the American League um, playoff picture. I believe they are five and 
15, 5, and 16 in their last 20-something games. Um, it seems like every day there's a different reason why they lose. When they get good starting pitching, they don't hit. When they, get, when they hit, they don't get good starting pitching. When they have a lead, their bullpen, which is supposed to be this lights-out dominant bullpen, they blow the lead. Uh, Chad Green's blown a lead. Zach Britton's blown a lead. Chapman has blown a lead. Ottavino is not the same guy that he was last year. You talk about the offense. Mike Talkman doesn't hit for power. This is a guy that we're like, oh, he should be a starter um, a, a month and a half ago. And he really, he's cooled down. Uh, Mike Ford, who Alex Rodriguez, you know, kind of sarcastically compared to Babe Ruth on a Sunday night broadcast a few weeks ago, he's completely fallen off the radar. Estrada and Wade aren't hitting. Um, it's really, it's Luke Voigt, it's DJ LeMahieu, uh, it's Clint Frazier, and that's pretty much it. They just it's got labor back. And Eric, it, it's just, it's just out of control how bad this team is. This team reminds me going into late September of that 2007 Mets team that was, that, that just finished the, the NLCS losing the Cardinals the year before. And they had the big lead on Scott's Phillies. I think it was seven game lead with 17 to go. And they just completely forgot how to play baseball. This reminds me of that 2011 Red Sox team that again was supposed to run through the major league baseball to the world championship. And they completely collapsed in September and didn't even make the playoffs because of that famous game 162 with the Rays and Longoria's home run. This team is so, so terrible in so many different facets that Brian Cashman today had to have a closed door meeting with his team. That almost never happens. It's, it's, it's amazing how bad things have gotten for the Yankees. And this is a team in the winter that everyone anointed as the world championship uh, team after Cole got signed. So it's just unbelievable what's happened to this team. Yeah. It's just really yeah, it's hard. It's been a, been a struggle. Go ahead, Todd. No, go ahead. Sorry. You were, uh, uh, just, you were cutting in. I think you beat me to it. Sorry. Uh, yeah, it's just been a struggle. Uh, as you mentioned, there's not a lot of production outside of, as you mentioned, uh, Voight, LeMahieu, and Frazier, especially with Judge on the IL right now. Um, it, it just ha- hasn't been good. Completely falling to almost out of the playoffs. Um, it's just not good. What they're doing right now is unacceptable. And as you mentioned, Having the GM having to come in to do a closed-door meeting cannot be good moving forwards for uh, the Yankees. No, it's it's just unbelievably hard when your entire team – like, I'm looking at the stats right now here on my monitor, and the only guy – like, what are the Yankees? Uh, 21 and 20. Uh, Luke Voigt, Aaron Hicks – Um. They've both played 37 games. Wade has played 34 games. Gardner has played 34 games. Gary's played 32. And then, like, this is where it starts to, like, starts the list of people who have hit the DL. And you have guys under here. It's Gary Sanchez, Urshela. Um, I don't think Talkman has. LeMahieu started out on the DL. Um, Glaber, Judge, Andujar, um, Stanton. Like, th- these are your guys that, yeah. You, you need to have in the lineup. And I don't fault the Yankees for not scoring runs as much as I fault them for not staying healthy. Um, but when you look at the bullpen, like this is a healthy bullpen. Um, Adovino hasn't been hurt. Uh, Canley's not in, but he's also not contributing to the fact that they're sliding right now and they're giving up leads and they can't hold anything. But it, it's these guys like Chad Green who are expected to pitch well in high leverage situations. Zach Britton who hit the DL but has come back and – Looked like he was back and ready to pitch and ready to pitch well, but he's, he slides at times and he's just not – we don't have that surefire guy that we should go to in the Yankee bullpen when preseason this line there, this back end of the bullpen was supposed to be the best in baseball. Like it's yeah, just and, really frustrating on that front. And everyone on I, I see on Twitter who's a Yankee fan is like, Boone, 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 Boone. And, and Boone isn't, you know, completely innocent in everything. There's been some questionable decisions he's made. He's continued to play people that haven't performed and some of his bullpen um, decisions haven't worked out. But how many times have we seen the Yankees, despite their injured lineup that can barely muster up three, four runs per game, have the lead in the sixth and seventh, and then your guys like a Green or an Ottavino or a Chapman or a Brin are supposed to be the four of the top you know, 15 relievers in the entire sport. They blow the, they blow the game. I mean, what else do you want Aaron Boone to do at that point? 
nothing. Yeah, it's go ahead. <laughs> I just at that point, it's like the players need that are out there need to go out and produce. Boone can only do so much. He can put the guy that he thinks is the right guy into the right spot. But if Britain's coming in to face multiple lefties and he can't get those lefties out, that's on him. That's not on Boone for putting him into that spot because that's the right decision. Um, And we've always talked about the depth of the Yankees, but you can only live off of that for so long. Depth is great when it's like two, maybe one, two, three guys that are hurt, not every single important player on your roster Mm -hmm. that's hurt. You can't live off of having to play. I'm sorry, you guys, Eric Kratz is a great story, but you can't rely on Eric Kratz to be your everyday catcher if you're going to be a championship contending team. The Phillies had Eric Kratz on their team about 10 years ago, and he was old at that point. So Mm -hmm. you just, you can't, you can't blame Boone for everything. The guy has managed two hundred win seasons. Obviously it's a different situation this year, but you can't put everything on Boone. I mean, let's just talk about yeah. for a second. Let's make a list of the guys that they've been missing. Let's let's go in the very beginning of what was supposed to be a one sixty two season back in March when Severino went down. So Severino goes down, Stan goes down, Judge goes down, Glaber goes down, Canley goes down. Britain goes down. Urshel has now gone down. Uh, I there's there's more that's just escaping my brain. You can't, as Scott said, you can't live and you can't survive off of depth like this because the Yankees, yes, they have good depth and yes, they have people at the alternate site that we said a couple weeks ago and still holds true that they could start for other teams. But when you're missing not only good players but all star superstar type player, you can't survive that. Last year was an aberration. You can't expect teams to lose what they've lost and continue to not skip a beat and win 100 games, or in this case, of a 60-game season, win 35 to 40 games. Eventually, it's going gonna, it's gonna to punch you in the face, and that's what we're seeing now because the Clark Schmidt came up. It was a rough spot. I understand that, but he didn't get the job done, and that's, that's not his, it's not entirely his fault. Um, Davey Garcia had a great game against the Mets, kind of took a little, little bit of a step back against the Orioles. Tyler Wade is hitting under 200. Marco, um, Tyro Estrada is, is hitting under 200. Mike Ford is hitting. These are guys that aren't, support, aren't supposed to be the catalysts of the offense, and they are, they are now because of all these injuries. So I, nobody's going to feel bad for you. But at the same time, you have to win the games that you have leads in when you're as injured as they are. And that's why I feel like the main culprit of this team right now has been the pitching and has been the bullpen. And we haven't even talked about how their starting pitching, led by Garrett Cole, has been completely underperformed their expectation. Cole is, has, what, a 3-5 ERA? That's not what we're paying him $324 million to do. They don't really have a true number two because Paxton's hurt. And when Paxton was actually pitching, he wasn't doing that great. J-Hap has, J-Hap's not, you know, what he used to be. And they really don't – Montgomery sucks this year. I mean, he's coming back from Tommy John surgery, but he hasn't pitched well. So it's really a struggling Cole. Um, Tanaka, who's always been consistent throughout his entire career, he is who he is, and you're going to get what you're going to get from him. And that's a solid uh, chance to win every single time. But other than those two guys, you don't have anything. It's the truth. And I just want to go back to like Monday night's game against uh, Toronto where they blew the lead It and, and kind of compare that back to the fact that people are really pinning this on Boone. Now it's what the sixth inning mm-hmm. or no, it's the fourth inning. He goes to Holder. Holder pitches extremely well. Probably the best we've seen Holder all year. But one hit, one walk, two strikeouts in, uh, he got five outs, 30 pitches. Beautiful. Then he goes to Chad Green, three earned runs. And then he goes to Adam Ottavino, which I thought was going to stop the bleeding. But I don't even blame Ottavino in this point, in this particular situation at least. Because this headline right now that I see here on ESPN, or it's an Associated Press headline, Green, Ottavino, waste lead, hit hard as Jays topped Yanks 12-7. to Green, I agree with, should be in that. But yesterday was on Luke Voigt. I'm sorry. It's not talked about enough. Luke Voigt was hit two ground balls in that inning. The first one he booted and flipped it with his glove back up towards home plate. 
And the next one was kind of a tweener that he probably should have gotten. And both of those happened with two outs. And that was the reason that Ottavino ended up getting hit hard because that just absolutely takes everything out of your sails. And, and not that you should still, you have an excuse to get hit hard after an error or after unearned runs come across the plate. But it's just, it, I don't know. It's the blame is on the wrong people here. Like you need to start holding people accountable. And like, I'm not saying Luke Voigt deserves the brunt of this because he doesn't, he's been carrying this team in judge and Stanton's absence, especially on the home run front. But it, it's just like a new person every single day. And it's just so frustrating. And, and that happened against Baltimore too. And that time we, and this time it was Garrett Cole on the mound. He was mm-hmm. cruising the entire game. I believe it was the sixth inning. The Yankees were up three, nothing or three, one at the, at that point. And Estrada boots a ball at third. And the inning completely unravels, and Cole gives up the lead, and, and the Yankees lose six to whatever. Yeah, I mean, when, when it, everything has gone wrong and nothing has gone right for this team, and, and I don't know if a Cashman closed-door speech or a Boone closed-door speech where he starts screaming at anybody, I don't know if that's going to change anything. Uh, and we're getting to the point is we're getting to the point of the season where you only have two weeks left. Is this what this team is? Is this what this team was supposed to do? Can we just speculate a little bit? Absolutely like what? Not. Like what is that meeting about? Like what do you say to a team like this? He's probably saying, "Hey, I believe in you guys." I, I, I can never imagine Cashman going in there and lighting the room on fire. I don't think that's his personality. But like, even if you're, even if it's a positive message, like what can you possibly say to a team that is all skin and bones? It's broken down before you absolutely have to bring up guys that really have gotten. No major league experience, and we're even starting to do that, given that they're prospects that are ready, like Floreal, um, Tyro Estrada, Clark Schmidt. Like, we're bringing these guys up that are ready. But aside from that, like, what do you say to a team that's just so stripped down that they don't know already? Like, what, does, what more do you think Cashman believes that he has to give this team and that they'll be receptive to at the same time? I, I... – like, I, I, don't I, don't, I don't know. Like, I can't come up with I don't a know either. I, I'm, like, sure, I, I'm sure the conversation went along the lines of, hey, I believe in you guys. Keep plugging away. This, things will turn out fine. You guys are better than this, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, this has been three and a half weeks of playing like this. At some point, this is who you are, right? Yeah. And it, it obviously it wasn't by design. It's what they weren't expecting to be. But at this no. point, it's what they are. And I'm glad you brought up Cashman there. At what point does he take any blame? I was talking with a friend last night. Um, he had mentioned Cashman is really the only consistent piece outside of ownership in the organization that's been there since the last World Series in 2009. Mm-hmm. At what point does Cashman take the blame for the last two years, at least the last two years, not going out at the trade deadline and doing anything to help the team? I mean, yeah, last year they didn't do anything, but la- last year, well, the, these last two years, you can include this year, Cashman has this like idea of, you know, we're not going to make a trade, but the guys who are going to get back last year, it was a Severino and this year it's going to be like a judge or a Stanton or a Paxton. That's going to be our acquisitions. Like he, he uses that as a justification for not making any deals. I don't, I don't want to put so much like blame on Cashman for not making deadline deals because you need two to tango. And if the other team is asking for way too much and way too much that you're comfortable giving up, you can't make those deals. Like let's say Archie Bradley, right? If the Yankees really wanted Archie Bradley to shore up that bullpen and kind of replace what you lost in Canely when he was out for the year, but the Diamondbacks want Schmidt or Garcia or Frazier, and that's who they're asking for. They're not budging. Cashman's not going to make that trade. So I would need you need all the information to blame someone for not making a trade, but Cashman has done so many good things over the course of the last few years to make this team a championship caliber team. Like the Urshela trade, fantastic, right? Um, he uh, the Talkman last year when he got him for nothing, he major contributor. The Voight trade was tremendous. He hasn't been afraid to spend the big bucks when he's been ready to. So like the Cole signing, um, who else? The LeMahieu signing. Instead of going after a Machado for all that money, he got a better player at 10% of what Machado makes. Obviously, it's not actually 10%. I'm just you know exaggerating yeah. for the point of my argument. But I don't think Cashman's the problem. I think the problem falls... I don't think Boone's the problem either. I think the, the blame falls on these 
uber talented guys these tremendous baseball players these superstar baseball players these baseball players that are considered the top 10 at their positions playing bad baseball i think that's what it comes down to they are not playing good baseball at all and they they should be embarrassed because they are completely underperforming they're supposed they're supposed to be this team this roster i know judge and stan are hurt but this roster coming in rivaled what the dodgers are doing now and the dodgers never lose at some point you can't look at Cashman. You can't look at Boone. I know that's the easy thing to blame. I know those are that you every in every sport and every fan base will be quick to blame the head coach or the manager or the general manager or the owner. But in this case, I truly believe that the players aren't playing well and the players are to blame for this. Yeah, I would I agree not, with you. I couldn't agree more, to be honest. It's just something about the accountability factor where you think these are major league baseball players. You're making excuses for them by blaming the people who brought them in and gave them an opportunity to perform. And they're not performing. These are, this roster is constructed to be a major league team. And, and if you look back to preseason predictions, there's argue there's, there's nobody that's going to argue this. The Yankees, if you're ranked in the top three in pure talent in the power rankings, before you've even played a single game, there's really no situation going forward where you can blame management to any extent within the season. If they're underperforming, like it's just, I don't know how to really articulate this, but like if you're saying before you've played a game that these guys have the ability to go out and win a world series and you want to rank them where the Yankees were ranked in the power rankings. Now they're not performing. What, what is different? Like the management put that, team in place i feel like i'm definitely not articulating this well but you get the point yeah like they're they put the people out there and they're not performing so you need to i think the, i think the mi- players. microcosm of, i think the microcosm of, of this yankee season is gary sanchez gary sanchez is a guy who from a standpoint of what his you know, attributes are and what his ability is and what his potential is to be should be a guy that's a top three catcher in baseball. And not only is he not a top three catcher in their baseball, he's probably bottom three worst regular position player in the sport this season. This guy's terrible and he should not be this way. We remember when he came up in 2016 and hit a home home run or two home runs every single day. He made the all-star team in 17 and in, I believe in 19 as well. He's completely, completely lost any sense of confidence and every sense of like talent that he's had. I think he's a microcosm of this Yankee season because on paper, you have this power hitting catcher with a dynamite arm. He doesn't frame that great. He doesn't block balls that great. But you take that when you can hit 45 home runs and throw out every single base runner that tries to run on you. But he can't do it. And it got to the point where he's been benched for two days. And he's back in the lineup tonight. But it, – it, it's not all Gary Sanchez's fault, but he is the, I guess, the, the poster boy for this season for the Yankees. He's been terrible. It's unfortunate. It really is. Yeah, yeah. that is mm-hmm. huge. Because, as you mentioned, the guy is a, he's a middle-of-the-lineup bat for this team. And if he's not hitting, then the rest of the team – doesn't really follow and it's and when eric i mentioned if eric kratz is playing over him that's not great um do you think there's any chance that the yankees don't make the playoffs or do you still think they'll be in there i don't know um the two teams on their tail right now would be baltimore and detroit baltimore is at 19 and 21 and i believe detroit seattle is right there as well is seattle right let me the, Seattle's 19 and 22 and the Tigers are 18 and 21. Yeah. The Yankees do have a four game set against Baltimore this upcoming weekend. I think they'll sneak in. Um, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't. I mean, this team is playing that badly that, you know, can you imagine what, you know, the fan base would do if they didn't make the playoffs and the Baltimore Orioles did instead or the Detroit Tigers did instead. I mean, I never I, – I wouldn't advocate for firing Boone because I personally like Boone. I kind of defend Boone sometimes. and I defend, defended Boone earlier in the show. But at that point, you got to get rid of someone if the Yankees don't make the playoffs. This is a team that's supposed to win the World Series and win the World Series going away. That's how good we thought they'd be. 
So if they don't make the playoffs, who's the, or is there, or will there be some sort of sacrificial lamb or kind of someone to like pay the price for this? Or do you think they just say, Hey, this is a weird year, 60 games. We didn't have a full spring training. Um, we had the stop and start. We didn't know if there would even be a season. Let's just chalk it up to a, hey, lost year, 2021. Let's bring the same crew back and see if we get better results. What do you think happens if the Yankees don't make the playoffs? I don't think anything, to be honest. It's just the Yankees are the worst of the best right now. Like you mentioned, the teams behind them. And albeit, like the teams that are behind them are not that far behind them. But, like, every team ahead of them is a good baseball team with, that, with the exception of maybe the Toronto Blue Jays who made a splash at the deadline and are really making a run for this. Um, I, I think they're going to make the playoffs and they're going to be able to make a run for the playoffs depending on who they get back. Like, they're, they're going to be able to go through the playoffs and be okay. Like, I just feel like everybody is slumping at the same exact time. Like, you look now, like, Andujar is starting to actually hit the baseball the last couple of days. Um, and that, that would help this team huge, um, especially just given the volatility with injuries. And Judge is going to come back. I mean, I don't know if Boone or Cashman said it, but said that he'll definitely be back before the playoffs, which at the time when he said it, it seemed like a very long way away, but it's not. It's two, three weeks, maybe. Like, it's really not that bad. Not two weeks, three weeks probably is more accurate. But there's one game above 500. It's an expanded playoff. They're going to get in. They're going to be healthy to make a run, and I think it'll be fine. I'm not worried. But if they get the eighth seed, they have to play Tampa right off the bat. Yeah, but that's not a problem. Like, it's it, – when healthy, the Yankees are a better team than Tampa is. Like, Tampa is pretty much the opposite of the Yankees right now. Like, they're a semi-talented team playing well above their standards, and they've been doing that the last couple of years, and they're starting to rebrand themselves – kind of not as that team where they're a team of average baseball players put together as a team to play well and win baseball games. But now guys on that team are making a name for themselves. Um, People are just coming out of the woodwork left and right. Like Mike Brasso, never heard of that guy. And he's, he's a major contributor for that team. And they're just in opposite directions. But I think the Yankees are going to write the ship and the Rays are going to fall down back to earth a tiny bit. I don't think they're going to just absolutely fall from the sky, but the Yankees can beat them in a series, especially a three-game series early. Like, it's not, it's, it's not a huge thing. My problem with that argument is that if Judge and Stan come back, do they have enough time? Because there's no minor leagues. Do they have enough time to get their timing down for a major league pitching? And then their first game back, Stan and Judge, is against Tyler Glass now or Blake Snell or Charlie Morton. That's tough. That's very tough. Scott, do you, th- do you think that the Yankees have time – to turn this around? Or do you think they're just going to stumble in, maybe make the playoffs and will be, and will be a quick out. They're, they're probably going to stumble their way in. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this series against Baltimore this weekend is huge. This four game set can essentially lock them into the postseason, but I mean, they still have tough games ahead of them. They have to play Toronto. They have nine again. more against Toronto, including today. Yeah. So, and their last season of this series or last series of the season is against Miami who might need it, might need those three games who might be fighting for something. So at the start of this season, we've thought this final stretch here for the Yankees was going to be tune up for the postseason, uh, Just making sure that the guys are ready to go. Now it's like they have to do something or they're going to, I don't, I honestly, I don't think they could beat the Rays. The Rays are just, they're on right now. They're record right now. Second, I, I can't see it either, to be honest with this, you. I can't they're this, the record Rays. wise, the Rays are the be- second best team in baseball behind the, the Dodgers. Uh, and they've beaten Cole twice already. Yeah. And your guy, your preseason Cy Young, of the, uh, Cy Young award pick in Tyler Glass now has been great. He's been pitching yeah. really, really well. Um, and as we mentioned before, the Rays are just a, a team that everybody produces, everybody contributes on a given night. Um, I I don't think the Yankees have anything in them to rally and make a run or be a threat. Well, first things first with the Yankees, they need to first they need to play better. I mean, even if the wins aren't there right off the bat, I mean, not only are they losing games, they 
look like they're sleepwalking through these games. It's not a entertaining watch. It's not a it's not a good brand of baseball that they're playing. That's it's very sloppy. It's very, they seem very disinterested. So the first thing they need to do is kind of wake up, realize that you know this is not a joke. This is they're not going to win by just showing up. And you know they got They got to feel a little embarrassed. They have to feel a little humiliated. Uh, this organization hasn't had a losing season since 1992, and they're seriously knocking on the door to have a losing season for a season when they're supposed to be, you know, this juggernaut team. So first thing they need to they need to look in the mirror and realize that this is an embarrassment before the wins start to come. And another like World Series teams, as we'll segue away from the Yankees for a little bit. Another team that is on the same kind of path is kind of their rivals the last four or five years, the Astros. They have the same record as the Yankees. Um, they're dealing with the same kind of injuries. Verlander, Altuve, Bregman out. Um, they're not going to win the division. The Athletics are going to win the division. Um, they're going to make the playoffs because, you know, I don't know if the Mariners are going to catch them or if the kind of the same way the Yankees. I don't know if the Mariners, Orioles, or Tigers are going to catch them. But the Astros as well are terrible. Who could have thought in – July, when this first started this season, that the Yankees and the Astros, who we all thought were a shoo-in for the ALCS again, would be as bad as they are. Yeah, huge shocker. Uh, I, I'm honestly I, – I don't think you could say I'm more surprised that they're bad as worse as the Yankees. Um, but it's it's been rough to watch. Altuve is an absolute shell of himself at this point. Mm-hmm. Same with George Springer. Terrible time for him to have the worst year of his career. Going into free agency, already with the the stench of the whole cheating scandal, who knows what his market would have been like anyway, but now that he's not playing well at all, doesn't help. Verlander not being there with the injury has killed their pitching staff. McCullers, um, I believe, got an MRI today too. Or got an MRI recently. Yeah. And, like, Zach Greinke's out there doing weird stuff on the mound where he's telling batters what he's going to throw and just being a a weirdo. I don't know if he's, like, trying to find his way out of there or he's just, like, gone off the rails. How many more years does he have in that contract? I think he's still got a few more because that was, what, a six-year, seven-year deal when he signed it with the Diamondbacks? Mm Mm-hmm. It's been been a couple years I'll now. So. He is 36 years old. I think the Astros are a very interesting team to look forward to or look at as we go into the future, especially with this kind of season that they're having, really struggling. You look at the Yankees season, and you look at the Yankees roster and the contracts that they have and the service time that the young stars have and how many more years they have left until free agency. And worst-case scenario – if the Yankees just have this terrible September and they miss the playoffs, it's embarrassing, it's humiliating, and they should answer to it. But you can also say, hey, we have these, we have these talented guys locked up for you know, three or four more years before they make big money. We, we still have a window in the future. The Astros, you can't say the same thing. Because as you said, Springer's going to be a free agent. After next year, I believe Correa is a free agent. And all these guys are going to start, you know, you can't keep all of them. So – we're getting to that point for the Astros where we might be thinking, hey, did this window close? Um, I don't think it closed. Um, or closing. It's starting. It's starting, it's to, starting close. to close. It's not as think... wide open as it yeah. was two, year, two, three years ago. And the Yankees are down, boys, 2 nothing. Um, right. No, I, I, don't, I think it's on its way to being closed. Um. I don't know. It's it's one. It's the same situation as the Yankees. Like, there's really no more, no other way to put it. Like, they have the talent. Uh, the Yankees have much more talent than the Astros do in terms of a well-rounded team. Like, the Astros' bullpen is nowhere near what the Yankees should be. Um, but they're just in the same position. So I, I don't know. It's it's a very good question, though. Scott, what are your thoughts on the Astros' window in the future? It's definitely closing, and just like looking at it. It would be really intriguing to see what they could do like if they just decided to blow it up. Because like, if you were to trade in Alex Bregman, you're getting a whole lot back for him. Yeah. Um, and not only would you get 
whole lot back, you'll get a whole lot back who are close to being ready. You won't get single A guys. No, you're you're getting guys that are are just about ready to be major league producers. You can trade Altuve. He's only 30 years old. You're not going to get a ton back, but you could still move him. Um, Springer. Yeah, Correa, you could move. He's only 25. Or you can hold on to him and kind of keep him there as... The building block for the next season. For the next dynasty, I guess. Because Verlander's 37. Granke's 36. Mm -hmm. They're not getting any younger. McCullers isn't getting any healthier. No. And then, I mean, you have a guy in Roberto Azuna who has his off-the-field issues. um, Is still a good reliever, so you could trade him as well and get some pieces back. And they're also an organization that has done it before. They tore it down and lost 100-plus games three, four years in a row. So they, we know they have an ownership that's willing to do it. Uh, but, yeah, I think their situations are completely different than compared to the Yankees. Uh, and I think, what happened was, I think what happened was with the Yankees and the Astros fan bases and the media that covers those two teams – and I guess we're guilty of this as well. We completely underestimated how tough the American League, American League is in general across all three divisions. You look at the playoff picture, the Rays very good. The Indians, who just traded Clevenger, the two seed, they're 26 and 15. The A's have had a great year. The White Sox have had a great year. The Twins are right there again. The Blue Jays are an up-and-coming team. The White Sox are an up-and-coming team. This is a very tough American League playoff to navigate. All right, I... I agree with you in terms of this season, but I don't think this is like, I don't think our predictions were wrong necessarily. Like if you look at this, the Yankees have played 41 games. That's literally a, that would probably be around Memorial day of last year. It's a quarter of a normal season, but in 2020 COVID land, we're two weeks or three weeks away from the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Like these teams, like the tigers that are three games, from 500 the Royals are a bad team like these aren't good baseball teams like the Royals aren't performing they're 14 and 28 but you look at a team like the Mariners that are three games under 500 um the Orioles too just every team like even the Marlins they are 500 like the Mets 19 and 23 like over the course of a full season these like the the talent gap is going to separate itself to the point where I'm I think the only prediction we got wrong is the fact that this season was going to play out rock chalk like any other season. And that is where we got it wrong. But I don't think the American League is as strong as you're making it out to be. The Yankees have played 41 games, mm-hmm. and it's September 9th, the day we're yeah. recording that. In 2021, assuming that you know we play the full 162, their 41st game will be May 19th against Texas. Yeah, And, I, and they would still have four and a half months left of baseball to play. Yeah, you got 120 games to make that up. Like, yeah. it's I, – I don't know. Like, like what are, what's the likelihood of the Marlins sustaining – they've played 36 games so far. They're 18 and 18. What are, what are the odds of the Marlins finishing 81 and 81 over the course of 162? Not it's great. not going to happen. Like, it's not it, – I don't know. It's just weird. It's a weird season. But I don't think the AL is truly that strong. Like, it's – Scott, what do you think moving forward with the American League? Do you think teams like the White Sox and the Athletics, do you think those teams have staying power over 162, or do you think this is a product of a season that's 60 games long? Um, I think the Athletics, yes. Um, The White Sox are probably a candidate of a team over 162 that probably would have regressed a little bit back towards the mean. I think the Indians would have done the same thing. Um. I think the Twins are a team that would have kept at this pace. They're in third place in their division, and they have 27 wins, um, which is incredible. I think they're the best. I I think, in a sense, that the AL over a full season would have gotten pretty big again. I think the Orioles would have fell off. Um, The Blue Jays probably would have regressed as well. But in the case of the shortened season, the young teams – they have a ton of energy to go every single day. I think, Glenn, you tweeted it out last night. Imagine your star players playing every single game of the season. Yeah. Because Vladdy, Vladdy Jr., Biggio, Bichette, 
I mean, he's hurt right now, but a ton of those Blue Jays guys are out there every single night mm-hmm. just just playing because they love to play. They're young. They don't really care. Like, and I think that has a sense of why those younger teams are are still relevant at this point because they have nothing to lose. I'm glad you brought up my tweet because I was thinking about this, and I tweeted this on a different tweet earlier yesterday when seeing that Glaber one day after playing his first game back from the IL was benched and how that was an organizational decision and that's what they were going to do no matter what happened. Do you think it's counterproductive to just give an abundance of rest to these young guys in, order, in, in hopes to prevent injury? Do you think that could actually add to their injuries? Do you think that could actually be ben- on not beneficial to the keeping them on the field? Because it seems like the Yankees do this more than any other team in baseball with their off days and how stingy they are about giving everybody rest, but they are the team that's constantly hurt. And that is the team that's more hurt than anyone over in baseball over the last two years. So do you think there needs to be an organizational philosophy change over how this team, you know, utilizes their lineup and who plays and who gets rest? Um, I mean, because, I'm, you know, we, we celebrated the Yankees played Baltimore this weekend. They celebrated Cal Ripken playing a million games in a row. And that's just, that's crazy to me. Like, I've been so, like, desensitized to people playing 10 games in a row. It's wild. I just think it has something to kind of compare to, like, like an immune system of sorts. It's not really comparable to that. Like, I'm not an orthopedic, but, like, and I can't really speak on, like, the science behind it and, like, the whole biological makeup and everything with exercising and returning to play and strengthening your body but like you got to imagine like if these guys are sitting on the bench and you go back like they don't have time to rehab in triple a they're going to an alternate site like they're playing a simulated game it doesn't have the feel of a real life at bat as much as you want to believe you're going 100 percent, you're just not going 100 percent at an alternate site and then you throw them back into the fire and yeah i kind of agree with you the fact that i think it's detrimental to these players and I, I don't know. It's just like one of those things and like all the outside fan talk about injuries and like there's something wrong with the team doctors. Like we've heard it with the Mets in years past, like when they couldn't stay healthy, they're like, Oh, there's something which organizational. They're not stretching their players out. They're not feeding them right. They need a new nutritionist, like all this stuff when I, we don't really know. And it, it, and I don't know if they necessarily know, like everything is all individualized. Like nobody has the same body. Like I just feel like it's more unfortunate than an operational issue on the inside. I don't know. It's just really hard to put a finger on it. And I don't want to go pointing fingers at people, but like, I don't know. It's just, it's an injury bug and we keep getting I, bit by it. Like it's really yeah, what I don't, it is. I don't, I don't, it's weird. There has to be, they have to be doing something wrong. But a guy they, like, yeah. a, I don't know. A guy, a guy like Glaber who's, what, 22 years old, 23, 23 now yep. should be able to come off the IL and go right back into playing every single I agree hundred percent. There's no reason why a, a young kid like him shouldn't be able to return from it. A, like a, a minor injury. I could understand the kid blows out his Achilles, knock on wood. He doesn't do that. You want to be careful when he comes back, but if it's like a strained groin or hamstring, like, He's going to bounce back. He's going to be fine to be able to play two, three, four, five. Like, there shouldn't be, oh, you're back one day. Okay, you're sitting here. We're going to put you back in tomorrow, but then we're going to sit you. Like, that's not going to help you come back from an injury. I mean, another thing I wanted to talk about this, and I had a conversation with a friend about this. These injuries seem to be piling up. And this is going to be, this is going to be a controversial talk. We might go on for a while about this. All these injuries have popped up and people have been missing a lot of games after banning things like HGH and things like steroids. Now, Andy Pettit, when he got popped for HGH, it was kind of expressed that he only used it to come back for an injury. Now, my question is, do you think there is a middle ground when a certain injury happens these guys make a lot of money. These guys are very valuable to a billion-dollar industry that is Major League Baseball. Do you think that there could be a middle ground to have some sort of legalized use of this drug to come back from injuries only? And it's not going to be legal just to make you a bigger, stronger person so you can hit home runs. But 
from in terms of coming back from an injury, do you think there could be a little bit of a ease in restrictions of things like HGH or some other drug that can help people recover from injuries quicker? I'd say no, because I, I don't think it's a possibility only because it's kind of just that goes back to that saying where it's like, you give them an inch, they'll take a yard, like give them a yard, they'll take 10 yards. I don't know how, what it, how it goes exactly, but like it, it's, there's no way to differentiate this and say a guy it, it's like, an, it's like a drug addiction in a way. Like you give it to a guy who's coming back from an injury where this could potentially help them. And then they're like, wow, I feel great on this. And then they want, they're curious to go out and get it for performance enhancing reasons. And you maybe it, it, there's got to be a way to measure the dosage of it and how much of it's in your system. Because say you come, say you have a 30 day IL stint. But if they get and, their doses from the team doctor and they're not going yeah, to separate like, GNCs on their own to get it, and it could be calculated and administered and watched by team and MLB physicians, do you think that could help? Do you think that could be done? But I guess it just opens up the way for loopholes because say you go on a 30-day DL stint and you mm-hmm. take this HGH, steroid, whatever it is to help you that's on the banned substance list, or I guess the medically excused list now, if it's being administered by team doctors, you, when you come back, what's to stop a player from continuing to take that for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days, the whole rest of the season until you realize that like these players are on it and need to be tested for it. But then they can just come back and say like, Oh, I was on the 30 day IL. Like I was hurt. Like I used it to come back team doctors back it up. Like I just feel like it's a murky area. That's not studied enough right now that you can't really use it. But if you want to turn to something that can help recovery, the the MLB took marijuana off the banned substances list, which I think has extreme medical benefits behind it where these players can use them at least muscular. So I don't know. It's a, it's a good topic to bring up, but I don't think HGH is that solution. I would agree with Ty in the sense where you can't have a middle ground. It's either you fully dive into it and just let everything go or you stick to your ground now and you have the extremely long list of banned substances. I don't think – I think it would just end poorly if there was like a, oh, it might be okay here, but in this situation it's bad. I, I just don't see it ending well for anybody. Well, I think maybe not that specific idea, but I definitely think something should be done from a, you know, a Major League Baseball wide, um, I guess, trial because these injuries keep racking up. And not only are they just like small injuries, these are big injuries to big players. And this is an industry that makes a lot of money off of the likeliness of those players. So I think anything to keep those guys on the field, they should consider, even if it's kind of taboo, especially Major League Baseball with their very strict drug policy. Um, We're going to move on to the National League. Scott, your Phillies had a big weekend against the Mets. They won three out of four. Is that what they did? Uh, Split. split. They split two two out of two. two. Yeah. That's that's fine. You didn't lose lose any ground. You didn't gain any ground. Yeah. And time's time's on your side, so you knocked days off the month, the calendar. Yeah, it was – in my in my eyes, it was a disappointing weekend for the Phillies. I thought they should have went in and taken three out of four against the Mets. I can see losing to uh, to Degrom. I don't like the way that they lost to Degrom, getting absolutely blown out. Um, but you split. They put themselves normally, in. Normally, Degrom doesn't get any run support. Yeah, so it's a very rare occurrence that what happened that 13, 14 to one or whatever it was happens. Um. But they, the Phillies have done great. They've put themselves into a great position here. Um, they've, I don't want to say they've secured a playoff spot, but they're pretty secure in where they're at. They're the uh, five they, seed right now. Yeah, uh, but the second spot in the National League East. They have a huge, huge, huge weekend series against the Marlins. They, have, they play seven games against the Marlins over a five-day span. Um, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, it, it's awful. They've that's a playoff played, series. It they've played terrible against the Marlins the last couple of years. But if they can go down to Miami, and they're all road games too, it's mm. all in Miami. 
if they can go down there and take care of business and win five out of those seven, they're sitting pretty. They can essentially – they could ruin the Marlins' season, which would be awesome. Um, and they could just – they could be in a great spot with a ton of confidence going into the postseason. And they're doing all this right now. They've been playing great without Harper and Real Muto. They've both been pretty non-existent for the last two weeks. But Reese Hoskins has stepped up. Gene Segura has stepped up. He stepped up. And the, I think the biggest surprise is uh, Alec Bohm, the rookie third baseman, who has been awesome. He's a professional, professional baseball player at the plate. Has a great approach. Walked off the uh, the Red Sox today in game one. Uh, game two is about to start. Uh, they, they've become a team, which is great. So I, I'm really excited about the Phillies moving forwards. They're 20 and 17. They're the fifth seed. They're two and a half behind the two seed Braves for the, you know, the first seed in the division, but they're also only a game and a half up on the eighth seed Marlins. So a big seesaw kind of series for Philadelphia. And as you said, they haven't played well against the Marlins at all the last couple of years. Um, the Marlins, they're hanging around. Right now, the wild cards in the National League would be the Giants and Marlins, which is crazy because we thought these would be last place teams going in. I mean, speaking of the Marlins, Sixto Sanchez is the best pitcher the Marlins have had since Jose Fernandez, and he looks like the future of this team. A 100 mile an hour fastball and a 92 mile an hour changeup with about I don't know, six to eight inches of, of break on this. It's they're crazy. an exciting team. They're they're definitely an exciting team, Tyler. Um, and they have one of the top farm systems in baseball. So you can definitely see a scenario where they're a team to be reckoned with over the last over the next few years. Yeah, it's it's a exciting team, and I, I think trading all of their pieces when they did was. Kind of a, I don't know. I don't think they should have traded everybody they traded. I think Stanton probably should have stayed there. Um, but I think cutting him, well, cutting him loose at least in a trade, um, and, and as well as Yelich and Ozuna allowed them to kind of take money off their payroll and just absolutely start fresh and allocate resources, not necessarily even in salary terms, but allocate resources around the stadium um, to – areas where they can actually make this an experience for the fans and for mm-hmm. people to actually want to come and be a Marlins fan during this rebuild process. Um, yeah. But even the talent is there. They have prospects. Like they're, they're getting guys that are competitive. I mean, you can do all the marketing you want. What's going to bring fans to Marlins park is going to be the team winning. And they I have been, agree. they've been doing a pretty good job building this roster. I mean, Derek Jeter took a lot of shit when he traded Stan and Yelich and Ozuna and Real Muto, and they were like, what is this guy doing? But, you know, it, it's the Marlins weren't winning with them. So he was like, I'm going to get rid of them. I'm going to build this from the ground up, kind of how like, the Astros did, the Royals did back in the early 2010s. And, you know, they're building, they're building a pretty good team. Scott, you're, what, you're back because your audio cut out for a second. Your thoughts on the Marlins organization, kind of maybe if they don't, they don't make the playoffs or they don't win this year. We're talking about how, you know, they have pretty good farm system. They have pretty good young players for the future. Yeah. Uh, absolute pain in my ass is what yep. they are. Um, they're Both pesky, Florida teams. Big they're pain in they're a pesky team. Um, they, they have some, some young guys. Um, well, they got Sixto Sanchez from the Phillies in the rate rail Muto trade. Uh, they got Jorge Alfaro. Uh, they just called up one of their top prospects in jazz Chisholm who's an encouraging prospect at shortstop. Uh, And then they went out and got Starling Marte, who's a a good player as well. Um, Yeah, they bought. They bought and sold. They they, kind of got rid of VR. Because they thought they were in a position to, you know, move forwards. I think they're building something nice down there, uh, roster-wise. As an organization, as a whole, I don't think they're ever really going to be that relevant just because they don't have the fan support, uh, that stadium is empty every mm-hmm. single night of the year. Doesn't really. But me matter. and Ty, me and Ty were talking. You couldn't hear us. They win, people show up. That's how it works in sports. You think? Yeah, 
I do. See, I do. Oh, and that's a good point though, because I remember going to a game in the old Marlin Stadium um, back when they shared it. They didn't share it with the Dolphins, but there were still Dolphins. Or maybe they did share it with the Dolphins. They did. They did, they did. They did. Right. Yeah. I didn't know if they broke away at some point or the Dolphins went anywhere else, but well, they are now, but like, no, they still play in that stadium. They, they still actually, play there. Yeah. They like completely remodeled it. But it's hard it's, rock stadium now. Yeah. It's yeah. still the same stadium. Yeah. I mean, regardless, I, I went there when Chipper Jones was st- uh, still a brave. Um, he was still in the league and I remember we walked up there and we got maybe, I, I don't know, like, $13 first baseline seats, like literally on the field level. So but the team was too, bad. They, yeah, they were bad, but like, I, I don't know. Like, this is like and there's Chipper so much Jones to do in, in Miami. Chipper Jones is in town. Like, what, the, the stadium was empty. I don't think people in Miami care about Chipper Jones. No, no probably not. Jones. That's a good point. But still, like. I think he's probably the last person they, they care about. But the point being, this was like 15 years ago to the point where it, nothing has changed. Like, Literally nothing. But well, the, the teams never man. won. The they won in '97 and '03. That's it. They've never they, had a sustained. But this you was know, shortly five after '03. And like, they have never won a after. division though. No, they have never won the division. They've they won. had these two. I, I you don't like to use the word fluke when you talk about a championship, but they had these kind of two fluky kind of seasons in comparison to what the franchise has been over their existence since I believe 1993. If they, in my opinion, if they sustain a five to seven year window where they're a good team and they're going to the playoffs every single year. I think people will show up. People show up to heat games. No, the heat are good. Exactly. If they're, if the Marlins are good. Yeah. People will show up. Like, They've won the point. world series and both times the next year, they tore it down. Yeah. In 97, if they, if they built they on those down. years. Yeah. In Oh four, they tore it down mm-hmm. in Oh three. They, the only guy that they really kept was Miguel Cabrera, and he was only 20 years old. But they got rid of a Derek Lee. They got rid of a uh, Avon Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. They, they, get rid of they get rid of Beckett. They, they get rid of Sheffield. They get rid of everyone. Yeah, they, they tore it down both times that they won a World Series because they didn't want to pay anybody. I think, um, I, I think people will show up if they win. I mean, we saw Kansas City. They showed up when they started winning. In Oakland, they don't, they, they're, no, Oakland Coliseum is always empty. Then they start winning, and people show up. I think winning brings people to the ballpark. They'll come. So the Marlins 18 and 18, the Rockies, Brewers, and Mets are on their tail. Last talking point I want to get to on the show before we get to winners and losers and wrap the thing up, I want to talk about the Mets ownership. Um, it was reported that Steve Cohen won the right to exclusively negotiate with the Wilpons, which means there would be no A-Rod or J-Lo in any other negotiations. It would be just be Cohen and Wilpon. Um, A-Rod and J-Lo expressed disappointment, and then it was kind of, you know, released today that A-Rod and J-Lo camp are kind of having this last ninth inning, last-ditch effort to buy the Mets. And the new proposal would be that J-Lo would be the the head guy or the head girl in the ownership stake. It's like a weird situation to me. Yeah. And it's not shocking to me whatsoever that the Wilpons are doing everything possibly wrong to slow this up and make it an ordeal. Um, I think they love the drama of keeping J-Lo and A-Rod around. Um, Steve Cohen is the right person for for the job, I guess, to become owner. The guy has deep pockets. He's made it pretty obvious that he's going to go out and try and spend. Um, I think my favorite part about the whole J-Lo A-Rod thing is they're sitting here promising a World Series within the first 10 years or they'll go out and they'll give money to charity. I feel like they're just going to throw away all their money just to get the Mets and then they're not going to have any money. They have a ton of money though. You know what I don't understand? Is correct me if I'm wrong here, but Steve Cohen's bid is two point six billion dollars. Yes. And J Lo and A Rod is two point three five billion dollars. Yes. So I saw a lot of people attacking A Rod on Twitter, saying like, "Oh, if the Mets in two thousand what seven is when he signed his contract with the Yankees." 
He signed, yeah. He signed with the Yankees and what do you mean? The first time he got acquired by the Yankees? Yeah. And when he signed with them, his con his big contract. He was traded to the Yankees in 04 and he signed his big contract after 07. Okay. So, so one of the tweets was if the uh, Mets offered you two hundred seventy-five million instead, or two hundred million instead of two hundred seventy-five. Would you go take it? Basically, playing on the fact that he's disappointed that like the the Mets aren't moving forward with their deal, but they're like three hundred million dollars apart, which in billionaire land is not like a crazy amount. But what they're doing is now, like yeah, I understand their attempt to kind of capture the city and capture the attention, saying like, oh, they're gonna promise a ring in a decade. But that $100 million that you're going to put up brings you that much closer to Steve Cohen. Just throw it in the deal. Bring yours from 2.35 up to 2.45 and try to come up with the other $150 million. It's not like it's, they're being bankrupted by this, but like, if you want the team, match the offer or, and really state your case or outbid the guy. And, and they're just not doing it. And I don't, I don't know why. I feel like it's hard why to believe Why would the Wilpons like, care if A-Rod's guaranteeing a championship? Why, why do I they care? I think it's just the, well. One, they should care. Two, I don't think they do, which is a problem. No, but like, why should they? They don't know the team anymore. Who do they care if they win or not? It's kind of their baby. They're clearly I mean, not it for the longest the time. Run the team over the last two decades. But if you're selling the team in good faith, and, and I think the league cares, not that mm-hmm. every owner comes in. Saying, yeah, like, I'm we're sure not the Wilpons are worried about which owner would get approved or which new owner would get approved by the other 29. Yeah, but regardless, is like I don't think a like I I think a Rod's. A half decent guy. I would even go as far as saying I think he's a good guy. Um, aside from his scandals and what he's been doing, I think he's. Fine. Oh, I love A Rod. He's tr- yeah, tremendous. he's a good guy. Like it. I just think he's trying to bite off more than he can chew with this, and you got to come up with a stronger offer than that. I think, from a public persona kind of standpoint, I think a J Lo A Rod ownership of the Mets would be much more entertaining to a casual fan or a casual kind of baseball watcher than Steve Cohen. I know Steve Cohen's like this lifelong Mets fan and he's going to live his dream and buy his favorite team. But you know, A-Rod and J-Lo are A-Rod and J-Lo. I think that'd be, I think that'd be fascinating watching A-Rod and J-Lo go up against Derek Jeter, uh, Marlins versus Mets. I think this is a question or a, a question to debate a different day, but I think exactly what you just said is the problem with baseball. You're getting excited over a-Rod and J-Lo owning the team and that creating excitement. And I think there's so much of that around the league where everyone looks at these owners as these figureheads and whatever, and not enough focus on the players. But I think we could debate this on. Well, the owner, we'll get, we'll get into it because next it, week, I guess. do Mets fans really give a crap that it's A-Rod and J-Lo owning the team when they're not going out there and winning. Like it's, they don't care. Th- they want to see a winning product. They, it doesn't think, matter if you have two of the most polarizing celebrities owning your team. Like, I think the Mets fan base will be happy with whoever buys the team, as long as it's not the Wilpons. I think they hate them that much. Yeah. I don't think they have a preference. Right. But, you know, we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks, couple of months with the Mets sale. All right, moving on to winners and losers. Um, I have my loser. Uh, we talked about them for the majority of this podcast, but – I don't have a winner yet, so you guys can go first. I'll go start with Scott, and I'll think of a winner. All right. So all, my winner of the week is going to be the team that is on the opposite side of the uh, the Yankees' dread right now is the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, they've been awesome the last couple of weeks. They've put themselves into second place in the division. they got a bunch of young kids that just love to play. They play hard with Vladdy Jr., uh, Bichette, Biggio, Guriel Jr. They're an exciting team. My my loser of the week is the Washington Nationals and their social media team. A couple oh, weeks no. ago, Tell me why. they put out a graphic and a tweet saying, it's not so hard to beat Philadelphia as Philadelphia says it is. Tweeting out all these graphics um, of their success against the Phillies for the last couple of years. And since that tweet went out, the Phillies have beaten them six straight games and or maybe seven straight games. Absolutely destroyed the Nationals. The Nationals are in dead last in the National League East, and the tweet has since been deleted. So they're my loser of the week. It's a bad week for social media teams. I think the Red Sox social media, the Twitter account, I think they like had this like tongue-in-cheek tweet about the luxury task, kind of poking fun at not signing bets, and it got ripped apart. And I think within 15 minutes it was deleted. That's rough. Yeah. 
not not good week for uh social media teams. Nope, not at all. What do you got, Ty? Um so my, I'm gonna start with my loser first. I'm gonna go with the Astros. They're sliding for obvious reasons. Um and it just makes me really happy to call them a loser and be able to have a segment where I can just slot them in for just for a week. Um I'll probably do it again. I hope I get to do it again. Um but as far as winners are concerned, I I don't really know. I don't know. Can you come back no. to me? Yeah, come back to me. <laughs> no. All right, my loser of the week is going to be the Yankees. I I have to. They're just it's embarrassing. Um I tweeted this. I tweeted a lot of things. I tweeted this yesterday. I think Steinbrenner should drive to Paramus, knock on my door, and personally apologize to me for everything they've put me through. It's that bad. Yes, yeah, watching the game yesterday, or not watching the game, following the game, I, was, I, I had a dinner thing. But, you know, looking at my phone and checking the score yesterday was a slow, slow death for me. It was terrible. It was embarrassing. And they're losing today, of course. So it just doesn't get any better. So the Yankees are my loser. My winner will be the White Sox, 26-15, and 15, first in the Central. A run differential of plus 53, which is second in the American League, second to the Indians at plus 54. They have some good players. They got Giolito. Um, they got Roberts. They got, you know, Jose Abreu. They got Jimenez. They're a good young team. And, you know, everyone talks about the Cubs in Chicago, the Cubs, the Cubs, the Cubs. And for good reason, they won the World Series for the first time in a billion years in 2016. And they've been consistently in above 500 teams while the White Sox haven't been to the playoffs since 2008, I believe. But the White Sox look like they will finally make the playoffs after 12 years and, and good for them. I like when big markets are good. I think that's good for all sports. I think basketball is better when the Sixers and the Knicks and the Lakers are good. I think football is good is better when, you know, the Cowboys and the Giants and, you know, the Eagles and all those teams are good. And I think baseball is better when the Chicago, New York's and LA's and Boston's are good. So the White Sox are my winner. Um, well, you kind of just stole my, uh, my winner. I was going to uh, go kind of, I was going to go a collective top three, of the AL central with the, the White Sox. You can do Indians, that. Go ahead. And the twins. Yeah, but I don't really have a good reason, so I'm going to move on to – like other than the fact that they're performing well, which is kind of stupid because I'm going to go with the Dodgers as my winner. Um, they're 7-3 and three in their last 10. They're, they have the best record in the MLB, but according to MLB.com's expected win-loss record based on runs scored and runs allowed, um, they're actually underperforming, believe, that or, really? believe it or not, um, by a single game. They're supposed to be 31-11 and 11 according to the statistic. Um, I also saw something else wacky. The Marlins are 18 and 18 and have only won two games at home. They're two and nine and 16 and nine on the road. Road warriors, road warriors. But yeah, that's it. I don't really, I kind of gave you a lousy winner there, but it's fine. It is what it is. (laughs) That'll just about do. I really miss cash this week. I know it's really quiet. He had some good points. Uh, He would have, he would have blew a gasket once or twice. But, you know. Okay, oh, I'm going to throw a quick little shout out to Justin and Christine, friends of the show, on getting married. We mentioned they in the listen? beginning where Cash was. I don't know if they listen, but I feel like it's worth it. Cash, you can't be a friend is. of the show if you don't listen. Well, that's probably snippets or whatever. Regardless, um, right. yeah, that's where Cash actually is. He's not. Um, he's not filming season two of. He's Outer not Banks? filming season two of Outer Banks, contrary to popular belief. But yeah, I just wanted to throw out a quick congrats to Justin and Christine. So there you go. That's nice. That's nice. And that'll just about do it for us at Base Hit Ball 4. We'll be back next week. We only got a few more episodes left until the postseason. So it's going to be a fun month of September, hopefully. And then, you know, before we know it, we'll be dissecting the winter meetings and the free agency and the trades, and it will be the winter again. So it was a quick year, but we're getting towards the end. Here you go. We're Scott Roswald and Tyler Blumenstick. My name is Glenn Denegris. We will see you next week.